ready for the test? We're going to do the quiz on the Word of God study. Okay? Everybody? Okay, everybody? Okay, the first question is, what is the first scripture of the Word of God study? What is the first scripture of the Word of God study? You just have to write out the scripture. You don't have to write what the scripture says. Just the, ch- the chapter and the verse. No, you do it separately and then you go to check it with each other. Okay? You guys are ready for number two? Okay, what does Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 talk about? And so there's a few different things that you can write. You don't have to do all of them, but at least one. What does Hebrews 4, verse 12, and 13 talk about? It talks about a few different things. Describing the Bible, how the Bible is. There's some things about God. So if you can just, you can write them all, or you can at least write one main thing that it talks about. You can't look in your Bible, though. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews? What does Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 talk about? Okay. All right. Moving on to the third question. What does John 8, 31 through 32 talk about? Also, there's a few things that Jesus said in John 8. Yeah. Campus, please, if it's y'all or whoever, we need to be quiet and, and so we can concentrate. John 8, 31 to 32, what does it talk about? Okay. Okay, question number four. What scripture talks about your life and doctrine must match? So just write down the scripture. What scripture talks about your life and doctrine must match? Now, campus, y'all need to get every one of these right. Because y'all are students and you had two weeks, so. Okay. Question number five. According to John 12, 47 to 48, what or who will judge us on the last day? According to John 12, 47 through 48, what or who will judge us on the last day? Okay. And we're going to have a bonus question. The bonus question is, and you get two points, for the bonus. Who had a quiet time every day this week? If you had a quiet time, 
every day this week, you get two points. And actually, we're going to give two more points if you did the Word of God study this week with someone, this week or last week. Okay, and so once you're done, whoever's in your group, one person in your group, or if there's only three in your group, you guys can switch and then check. Check your papers. Have someone else check your papers. the Bible. Okay? And then, so that adds up to five points. And so if you got, if you had a quiet time every day this week, you get two more points. That's seven. And then if you did the Word of God study with someone the last two weeks, that would be nine points. So who got a perfect score? Who got nine? Nana? Okay. All right. So who got who, who got seven? Who got seven points? Awesome. All right. And who got seven over here? Good. Okay. And who got five? At least five. Okay. And then who got at least four? 
Okay. All right. Amen. Well, guys, you have to study. Let's keep going over this so that we are prepared to study the Bible with the women in the Bronx. Okay? Amen. So in, in, in the two weeks, we're going to do one on discipleship. So hang on to your notes and study. Okay? Amen. So we're going to start in Acts 11, verses 19 to 26. And this week we only get one, one copy, which is less confusing for everybody. So you just keep this. This will be what you'll give to your friend that you're studying with, and this is also for you. So Acts 11, 19 through 26, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greece also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So... First, when you, before you get into the study, you definitely want to pray and, you know, find out how your friend is doing. You, you may want to follow up and just ask her, do you have any questions from the last study? Is there anything you didn't understand? Or maybe you have done that already before you get into this study. Usually I like to do that before unless I know it's going to be a short recap. Because if you're there to be the disciple, you really want to focus on discipleship. And you want to tell them, we're going to talk about how to define a disciple. What is a disciple? And usually I'll ask them, how would you define what a disciple is? And you may get accurate answers. You may get a variety of answers. And then you're going to say, we're going to also look at what a Christian is. And, or, and you ask them, what do you think a Christian is? They may say the same thing. They may say different things. And would you say that the Bible... Would you say that the Bible would define your life as a disciple? So those are three questions you want to ask them in the beginning. But then you want to also explain to them, we're going to look at what the Bible defines, obviously. We're going to look at the Bible's definition of a disciple, of a Christian, and then you can look at your life and compare it, am I living as a disciple according to the Bible? So you want to start off with that. And so we read the scripture... And we want to talk about what was going on in the church in Antioch. And first you see there was like great persecution going on there. And that's okay because the Bible says anyone who wants to live a life in God will be persecuted. But actually the persecution, God used that. God can use any situation, but he used the persecution to spread the word of God all over um, 
the world, actually. And uh, so the disciples began to spread out and share the word, and they went to different countries. And everywhere they went, that's what they did. And so my question is, you know, just to you guys today, um, you may not want to say this, but I want to ask, as disciples already, are we taking that attitude, ladies? We need to have that attitude that we are sharing the word everywhere we go, and we're teaching it everywhere we go. And it's very important that we do that. And I know that we can all get comfortable, we can all get in a place where, oh, it's okay, we'll get to it later, or someone else will do it, but, you know, we don't know what, what later is going to bring, and we don't, some people are not going to have a later, and some people don't have tomorrow. We don't even know what time we have, and we don't know when Jesus is coming back, and uh, it's an evil world, and I'm personally... You know, I just want to be prepared any day because it is, if you look at the times, it's an evil world. And so I think this is so important for us. So this is actually here in Acts 11, 19 26. You're going to explain to them that this was the first time the word Christian is used in the Bible, that we see it, and that the word Christian is only in the Bible about three times. I think it's accurately three times. But the word disciple is, appears in the Bible over 207 times. So they may know that, they may not. I know for me that was new knowledge for me. And it says the disciples were called Christians first with Antioch. So this is the first time. And the reason that they were called Christians is because it was so obvious to everyone that they were followers of Christ. That they were imitating Christ, they were living as Christ, they were spreading the word about Christ. And so before they were known as the, the, Jesus' disciples. But now they're like these Christians, these Christ followers, these little Christ running around all over the place. Like that was their reputation. And so we have to ask ourselves, is that my reputation with my coworkers, with my friends, with my neighbors? Are we spreading it uh, the way they did in the church in Antioch in the first century? And here it talks about, also we can see that the, a Christian is the same thing as a disciple. It's just a different name, but the same thing. And if you are a Christian, and if you studied out salvation and what it means to be a Christian, you're also saved, Right? So in order to be saved, you have to have salvation in Christ. You have to be a Christian, and you have to be a disciple. So you want to explain that to them in the beginning, okay? And so after we talk about that, and they've asked, you've asked them the questions, and you want to see what they're going to say, so let's keep reading. In Mark 1, 14 through 20, we're going to look at the calling of the first disciple. So let's turn to Mark 1. Okay. And starting in verse 14, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming, the good news of God. 
The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Okay, so here, what is the first thing that Jesus instructed these fishermen to do? Come, follow me. Then what? What did he say next? I will make you fishers of men. So here Jesus is calling them to follow him, imitate my life in Christ. That's the only way we can do that now because back then they could physically follow him. But now how do we follow him? The, The Bible. In the Bible. Yes, following the Bible and imitating other godly men and women in our lives. So here, he says, I will make you a fisher of men. So what do you think that means? And you want to ask him that question. What do you think Jesus is talking about here when he says, I will make you a fisher of men? And people will have different answers. But the answer is that Jesus wants to give you a new mission in life. Like he's given you a purpose, a new purpose in your life. Your purpose is to follow him. And he gives you also a mission. Your mission is to go and make disciples and make fishers of men. Be a fisher of men and help other men to follow Jesus. And usually here, this is where I will share briefly about my life and say, you know, before I studied this, um, this my purpose in life was to live for myself. That was why I thought I was here on this earth, to fulfill me, to achieve all that I wanted, have all that I wanted in life, and deny myself nothing. And that is why I, you know, moved to New York, blah, blah, blah. That was my life. But then when I read this, and when Jesus called me to follow him, and that I have no, a, a new purpose, I no longer live for myself. Now, I, I want to live for Jesus. Now, my life is to follow Jesus. Not to follow me or anybody else, but to follow Jesus. And to help other people know Jesus. And, uh, and then I usually ask them, what about you? What was your purpose? Or what is your purpose in life right now? And so you will have different answers. You'll have some women who will be very honest and, and say, And honestly, most people that I've studied with, they're pretty honest. Like, no, this is not how, I'm not living to follow Jesus. But you will have some people that are going to say, or they're going to say, yeah, I'm doing that. Well, okay, well, let's just keep looking and let's, you know, that's great that you think that, but let's make sure we're doing it according to the Bible. Okay? And uh, so from there... We're going to go on. And then I'll also ask them, is that something you would like to do if you're not a follower of Jesus or a fisher of men? Is that something that you would like? Because this is what Jesus calls you to do. 
Are you going to listen? Are you going to obey? Because if you look at the, the men that he called, they immediately, they, they dropped everything. They dropped their nets. They left everything behind to call Jesus. So when Jesus calls, we have to be ready to go. Because he, that, that's a great blessing and an honor to be able to be called personally by Jesus. Okay, now we're going to talk about the standard of a disciple. And let's look at Luke 9, 18 through 26. And you can also ask any question. You understand that anything you don't understand, and you know, you definitely want to hear their input on that. So Mark 1, I'm sorry, Luke 9, 18 through 26. Once when Jesus was praying in, a private, in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, the one, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, The Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and, let, and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the Holy Angels. So in verse 22, Jesus tells his disciples what was going to happen in his life. That I'm going to be persecuted, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise again. Then he says, he gives them the standards for anyone who wants to be his disciple. Not, not just certain people, not this group, not this group, but anyone. That is everybody. There's not a different standard for anyone else. There's one standard of a disciple. And the first thing he says if you want to follow me and be my disciple, you must deny yourself. And I usually ask them, what do you think that means? And it's to put God's will above your own. And here, again, this is where I will share, usually. I will share, or maybe someone else in the study will share, um, of the things that I need to deny of myself now and the things that I deny myself of when I became a Christian. This thing is driving me crazy. Okay, here we go. Now I got it. So, so yeah, we, I talked to them about, okay, for me, when I realized that I wasn't a disciple and I wasn't following Jesus and that I didn't have the same purpose as Jesus and I wasn't making disciples or helping other people know God, um, I had to really deny my selfishness, uh, my temper, um, lying, deceitfulness, immorality. You know, I will. I will be honest. 
And then I'll talk about the things that I struggle with now. You know, um, just honoring my husband, being being humble, not being prideful, uh, not being selfish. Uh, I I still struggle with temper. And um, you know, so you want to just be real, and you know, so they can relate. It's very important. I try to really make it relatable because I want them to feel comfortable enough to get open. That it's okay. You can talk to me. I'm going to talk to you about my life. You can talk to me about your life. It, and so, and then I usually ask them if they would like to share. What are some things that you would need to deny of yourself? Okay? And then it talks about take up your cross. That's, so deny yourself and take up your cross. So what does that what do you, what does that mean? I usually ask them, what do you think that means to take up his cross? And basically, it means to crucify yourself. You no longer do what you want to do. Instead, you're going to do what God wants you to do. You're going to live for God. And I know for me personally, that was very challenging. But there's no way around it. Okay, um, and honestly, if I had lived for myself, where would I be? I don't think I'd be better off than I am today. I may be in a different place, but honestly, I think I would be a lot worse off and a lot of sin. And so I'm grateful that Jesus has taught me how to do this, how to deny myself, how to take up my cross, deny myself, and be like Him. And I think of the, you know, I always you know, mention even, if you think about Jesus, he had no sin, and but he did this for us. He crucified, he was crucified and died for me. Not that he even had any sin. And so, how hard is it for me to actually give up my sin? It's, you know, I should be willing to do it. Because here, the Son of God, Died so I couldn't, I wouldn't have to live that life anymore. So I can turn away from sin. And then he says to follow me, follow Jesus. Again, imitate, imitate the life of Jesus. And that simply means to do the things that Jesus would do in situations. Instead of being angry, being humble, being forgiving, forgiving, having mercy, loving, being kind, being generous. All the things that you know Jesus would do. Sharing your faith. Um, reaching out to, to strangers even. Reaching out to people. And not saying, oh, you know, I don't feel good. Or I'm not in the mood. Or, even just not having the faith. Like, I just don't think I can affect anybody. I just don't think I can do this. No one's going to listen to me. Like, no, God says that we have faith. We just have to believe in Him. He's going to give us the words. He's going to help us. We can do it with God's help. When I decided to become a Christian, I was so quiet and shy. I didn't think I could ever speak to anyone in my life about studying the Bible or coming to church. And I, they wouldn't baptize me until I shared my faith with, with people. And I remember being on the subway and just be so scared and like, okay, just do it, just go for it. You know, but once I did it, you know, I was like, wow, this is, 
I can do this. And I had to pray. I prayed a lot. I would always pray before I shared with someone, God, give me the words. Give me your spirit. Help me to do this because I can't do it on my own. I'm scared. I want to be in myself. I don't want to do this. I really don't feel like talking. But God will give you the words to say. And I know that that was something I learned and I still that still stays with me to this day. And he talks about never being ashamed of being a disciple or a Christian because there are a lot of people who will. And, and personally, yeah, I, I did when I was studying the Bible at school. I used to hide my Bible. I used to try to like turn the Bible this way because I didn't want people to think I was just religious. And I said, I'm ashamed. Why am I ashamed of Jesus? I have no reason to be ashamed of him. He's the most amazing man that ever walked in this earth. He's the son of God. He died for me. He wants to do all this for me. I need to be like him. We all need to be, a, be like him. And so I had to talk myself and train myself out of being ashamed of what people thought of me. That I was a Bible banger or they were going to be critical of me. I mean, I thought all that as a college student because I was worldly. I came from a really worldly background. Okay, so now let's go to Luke 9, 57 through 62. And now we're going to talk about the commitment of following Jesus. We talked about what first Christians are, what Christians and disciples are. We talked about the calling of the first disciples, the standard, and now we're going to talk about the commitment. In Luke 9, 57 through 62. cost of following Jesus. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So the commitment of following Jesus. These men that all said, we want to follow you, Lord, we want to follow you. They wanted the life and the blessings of being with Jesus, but not the commitment. Okay? And we can't do, you cannot have the blessing without the commitment. Jesus wants full commitment if we're going to follow him. And uh, I, I relate to a marriage. You know, if you get married, do you want uh, 50% commitment? 75? 80? 89? No. You want 100% commitment to, from your husband. And we have to see it the same with Jesus. This is God. Why would we give him less than 100%? It's not acceptable. God says no. If you want to follow me, it has to be 100%. And also these people, they started following him, but 
But then they started coming up with a lot of excuses and reasons why they couldn't do it. Well, I need to go back and see about, you know, my business, or I need to go back and bury my parents. And, and really, traditionally, his parents weren't even dead, okay? This was, uh, in the, the tradition back then, you know, you had to stay with your family in order to get your inheritance. So, like, if he were to just leave his father now, he would um, be giving up his inheritance. And so he's like, I'll follow you after I do all this. After, you know, I finish fulfilling what my life needs or what I want for my life. And Jesus said, no. He's like, you will not be fit for service. You cannot put your hand to the plow and look back. That once you put your hand to the plow, it's no way before. Because if not, first we won't make it. If we keep looking back, we keep looking back, or looking at, oh, what I left behind, or what I should be doing, and really trusting that God will take care of your life. He will. He will take care of your life. We cannot still desire the world and desire to follow Jesus. And there's, is there ever a good excuse to not follow him? No. And so here I would encourage the person to come to read and pray, come to church, to Bible talks for three weeks, and to really put their trust in the God. Just like the, he's calling you to do, us to do, to put your trust in Jesus and just walk this way. If you're not living as a disciple, how about you start doing it right now and, and see what, what God can do in your Read, pray, come to church, come to Bible talks. Okay, so that's the challenge. Okay, now we're going to talk about the cost of following Jesus. Luke 14, 25 through 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Okay, so here he's saying anyone who wants to be a disciple will usually... I ask them to, like with each scripture, I, I try to engage them. I don't just give them all the answers. 
I try to ask, you know, what do you think that's saying? Or what is that saying to you? And then, okay, well, let's talk about it. Anyone who wants to be a disciple must love God more than any other relationship in their lives. And I usually ask them, do you really think that, um, what, what do you think it means when Jesus says hate? And a lot of times it's confusing. A lot of people are like, why would you say hate my parents and uh, my brothers and sisters? And that doesn't seem right. That was my reaction. I had a fit when I saw this. My first Bible talk. I was like, oh no. What, are y'all crazy? You're not going to ask me to hate my family? What, what is this? And so, which really opened the door for me to study the Bible. But what it is saying is that no, he's, he's not saying to actually hate. He's saying that, you know, your love for God has to be greater even to the closest people in your life. Your husband, your mother, your father, sister, brother, best friend, even yourself. And honestly, for me, that was the biggest one, myself. You know, um, yeah, I didn't want to lose people, and I was concerned about losing people in my life if I decided to become a disciple. And I made this choice, and which I did. My husband, my family persecuted me. You know, I lost some friends. But the main thing was myself. Like, am I willing to love God more than I love myself? And that was a hard one. Because um, when the rubber hits the road, you know, (laughs) usually about us. And so this one was one that I really had to um, struggle with. And um, But God is saying, I'm going to teach you to love so much more. If you really love me, your love for everyone else is going to be greater. Your love for your parents is going to be greater. Your love for your friends and your neighbors and your brothers and sisters, your husband and wife, is going to be greater. It's going to be better because I'm going to teach you really how to love. And, um, and yourself, you know. Um, I've even learned to love myself better through God. And so he, if we just put him first, he's like, I'm going to take care of it all. I'm going to take care of you. And then it says, you have to, um, you cannot be my disciple unless you do this. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then he goes on to talk about, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. So he's talking about really thinking about and counting the cost about what is this going to take. To not just, I'm going to, oh, whatever, I'm just playing around with this. But that this is serious because it's going to affect the rest of your life. It's going to affect your eternal salvation. So he's saying you need to really evaluate your life and know what you're going to do. He doesn't want you to go into this blindly. And not knowing because God wants you to be successful. Jesus wants you to make it to the end, make it to heaven. And so you have to really understand what it's going to take. Okay? And not just, oh, uh, whatever. It can't be emotional. It can't just be to please other people. It's got to be because you love God and you are committed to God and you want to follow God. And then he talks about um, also the other thing is the ridicule. Like, you're an example for other people. If you're a disciple, you start as a disciple, and then you give up, 
it will affect the people around you. Like, oh, what happened to that discipleship thing? You know, oh, I thought she was all about God. What happened to that? You know, people are, are watching us. And I, one thing Maurice and I always talked about, uh, and he would always say that one thing that always kept him faithful, even before we got married when he was in the teens, is he was, you know, when he struggled, he said, you know what? How can I let all these people that I have influenced, I've been preaching to, studying the Bible with, talking to, that I've led, and then I turn and walk away? How is that going to affect them? And God's going to hold us accountable for that. And so, you know, we have to really take that seriously. And so, I suppose a king comes and wants to go to war against another king. And so here, who, who do you think Jesus is talking about? Who's the king with the, the bigger army and who's the king with the smaller army? God and, uh, God and us, that's right. Because you know, you know how Maurice talked about we, we're the king and queen of our own kingdom. So when we become a disciple, we're going to have to give up those kingdoms and become a part of the king, Jesus' kingdom and the kingdom of God and no longer Lauren's kingdom. And so he said, okay, but if we try to oppose God, are we going to win? No, we're not. And seriously, this one really got me because I had to really meditate on that. Do I really think that on the last day, what am I going to be able to say to God? What, is, what excuses will I have? And if I deliberately disobey him, you know, I have no, you know, he's already put it out there. I can't fight God, and God is going to have the last word. So I better humble up, surrender while I can, bend the knee to Jesus, and say, you are Lord, you are my Lord. And I bend the knee, and I will surrender, and I will give it all up for you. Because I'm going to put my trust in you, no longer in me, no longer in the world, no longer in my job, or in my relationship, or whatever that I've used to, to get through the world. Now, he's not saying, just throw everything away, don't go to work, don't go to school, don't take care of yourself. He's not saying that. And I think, you know, at first I kind of thought that, like, well, why would God want me to just stop everything? And, but I learned that that's not what God wants. He just wants us to continue to be the best we can be for him. Be the best student. Be the best coworker. Be the best wife. The best friend. All of the things, you know, that we have to do in life. We still have to work. We still have to, uh, you know, take care of our, our lives because... You know, we have to have a stewardship in our own lives that God has given us. So it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're irresponsible and we're not going to do things. Actually, as a disciple, and um, this really, I was a student at the time, that I need to be a better student than I was. Campus, as disciples, you guys need to be even better. Better grades, more on top of it. doesn't mean neglecting God, though. So basically he just said, you know, if any, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And yeah, that's, that's a lot. I'm giving up everything. Like, 
I'm willing to put, there's not going to be any other kingdom before you, God. And uh, honestly, sisters, I have to say, like, God has blessed me. He has blessed me. And I just pray that for each and every one of your lives. I know that each and every one of us, we're going to go through some trials and hard times. But God has got your back. And he, he will prove it to you. You just have to trust and hang on. He will get you through whatever. But he does say, this is the cost of following me. And I will be with you. And we're going to look at that in a minute as well. And uh, we cannot stop. Even if it hurts, we cannot turn around and go back. So let's look at Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So when this man found the kingdom of God, it was like a great treasure to him. It was worth everything he had. My life, my life is not worth more than the kingdom of God. Because without God, what life are we going to have? We're all going to die. We're not going to have a life of God. Um, but, you know, sometimes we have a hard time. Like, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to put God first. But this man saw the value. Did we see the value and the treasure that God has given us? our salvation and the kingdom. Like, we don't have to do it by ourselves. We've got the whole kingdom of God to help us through, help us to make it. But this is how God wants us to feel about being a disciple in our new purpose, by following him and helping others. Like, this great blessing. And you guys have probably heard the story about, um, you know, the pearl, the man who searched and searched and searched. And uh, for this pearl, he spent his whole life searching for it. And um, when he finally found it, he went and he sold everything he had so he can purchase this. And uh, when he, he did, um, you know, it wasn't a lot. Because, you know, he knew what he was getting was going to be greater. And so, God, just think of God's kingdom that way. In Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here again, Jesus is talking about our purpose and our mission. He says it again, Come, follow me. Go and make disciples. I have all authority in heaven. I have it. So if you follow me and you make disciples and you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching, 
continue to teach you, even for us who've been disciples 20, 30, 40 years. We have, we're still learning. We have to be a learner. Being a disciple is about being a learner. We'll be learning until we reach our last breath. Okay? And, you know, in our rocking chairs. Still learning. Still rocking. We'll be teaching, but we'll be learning too. And so he says that he wants us to go and make an impact on the world and to help others. Because there are people out there that we have to reach out to. And honestly, sisters, it's not us who. If we are not going to do it, who's going to do it? I mean, if we look at this room, this is a small number compared to all the women in the bond. And to think that God has chosen each one of us specifically to be the woman to go and find someone else to share and impact their lives and help them to know God is a great honor. I ask myself all the time, why me, God? Why did you pick me? You could have picked my sister, you could have picked my friends, but you picked me. And I, I feel so honored, I feel so blessed, because I could still be walking around in the darkness, stumbling and trying to figure out my life on my third or fourth marriage. You know, um, just a mess. And I see that in a lot of my friends' lives. I see that in people all around me. But we have been chosen by God to be in this room and to be in the kingdom of God. As a disciple of Jesus and as an imitator, you must understand that Jesus will be with us always to the very end of the age. For better or worse, sick and sin, sickness and health, richer or poor, he's there. He's not going to leave us. And I told you guys my story about the different things that happened. Even when my daughter was deaf, I was so angry at God. Like, why God? I gave up everything, and then you going to do this? Like, I, I was like, who am I? I had to wake up. Who do I think I am? That I deserve this perfect life and everything to be perfect. And I had to get that straight with God. You know, it's like, no, that's not how it works. And I, then I saw it was a blessing that God had given me. That, okay, I get to raise this beautiful girl. I get to raise, gave me two beautiful daughters. And, and yes, one has hearing loss, but I would rather be with me than somebody out in the world that wants to be my God. Exactly. You know? yeah. And so now my oldest daughter really is a disciple. It's been going on three years. Four. Four years. Wow. And Gracie has started studying. She did the Word of God. And she is going to do discipleship this, this weekend. She's going to review it again with Anna. So I'm just so grateful that I got the chance to um, raise my children up in the kingdom of God. That was one of the things that kept me from leaving when my ex-husband was like, um, you either leave me. And I was like, how can I do this? How am I going to raise my children? How am I going to live my life? They'll never know God. They'll never know the love of God. They won't know the kingdom. We're going to just, I'm going to just take them to hell with me. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. He's like, no, I'm not going down that road. So it's a blessing, guys. And um, and just to kind of close out, um, you know, our relate a relationship with God is like a marriage. And I, I explained this to them. 
when we start reading the Bible and praying, it's a get-to-know-him stage. We're learning and getting to know God and Jesus. And then the dating stage is when we are committing to having a relationship with God. And then the engagement stage is making that decision, I'm going to be committed for life. Like I'm, I want to be baptized. I want to be committed to God for my life. And then the wedding ceremony is the day of baptism as a disciple. Like making that covenant and that commitment with God, just like we do when we got married, when we're married, we made that commitment. So you're not a disciple until the ceremony occurs. You're not married until the wedding occurs. But I do encourage people, like if I'm studying with someone and they're saying they're a disciple and we, we still need to study some things out, I treat them as if they are a disciple. Okay, you're living as a disciple. But we continue to study because there's still things that they need to learn. And I just pray, and usually God just brings it all around. You know, I think I said that before, like, uh, he'll bring it all together for them. So, and that's, that's the prayer. So, um, I, I, you know, if they're saying they're a disciple, uh, I don't want to argue with them about that. Okay, well, let's just keep going and let, but... Okay, I'm going to hold you to this standard of a disciple as well, and that's what we're all trying to do. And so, um, just continue to explain to them, like, I'm here to help you with your spiritual walk with God, and continue to study with them, and continue to have them come to Bible Talk in church, and, you know, make sure you set up the next study as well. So... And definitely ask them if, if this is what they want to do, if this is the life that they want. Do they want these blessings and this commitment to God? Amen? Amen. So I was going to say in your groups, one of the reasons I wanted you to meet in this group is 